invite the children to be dismissed to junior church and invite you all to turn in your Bibles or a pew Bible or scroll on your phone or whatever to Luke 9, starting at verses 28 through 36. It's a great worship song and set of worship songs as you think about it. As a deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants after you after the Lord. That's from Psalm 42. I encourage you later on in your devotion time, read Psalm 42 and Psalm 63. I knew a pastor around eight or nine years ago, he was using that song as a deer. And somebody said, that song's not even scriptural. It comes right out of the Bible, you know, right out of Psalm 42. Careful what you say. (laughs) We're going to look at a passage today about Jesus' glory, but it begins with a tired night. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been driving and I'm just struggling to stay awake while driving. When I was in college, I drove an hour each way to college. When I was in seminary, I drove two hours each way, two days a week, to seminary. I lived in Cincinnati, drove to Asbury, which is in Wilmore, Kentucky, just outside Lexington. Loved it this time of year as the sun started rising earlier because once you get south of Cincinnati, Wendy probably knows this, once you get south of Cincinnati, it gets dark real quick driving through those Kentucky hills, driving to the seminary. And I did this twice a week during those times and also for many terms, and sometimes I stayed there. But I enjoyed the driving time. I, mem- I memorized Hebrew while driving. I uh, would flip a little note cards while I and go through the go through the memorization process for Hebrew. I listened to sermons. I listened to books on CD. I prayed during this time. And when I was in college, I drove close to half an hour each way to work, in addition to my hour each way to college to Cedarville at that time. But the problem with driving, especially at night, is when you cannot stay awake. The worst feeling I have is falling asleep while driving. I used to take coffee. I would take snacks. I'd grab a bag of cereal and snack on that while driving and, and do different things to try to stay awake. And, and you, you, you may know the feeling of trying to stay awake while driving or maybe it's trying to stay awake while doing other different tasks. You know, I've had trouble staying awake while fishing, and that's not that big of a deal. You might just lose a fish or something like that, right? I've heard of people, Mike's here, he's a hunter who try to stay awake while being in a deer stand. I don't know if that's an issue for you or any of you, but, you know, staying awake can be a real issue. I've had trouble staying awake in class. When I was in my last year of college, I worked full-time. I went to school full-time, and I worked as a shift manager at McDonald's. I thought it'd be a good idea. We, we lost our overnight maintenance man. He went on to a different job, and I thought they needed a manager to supervise unloading trucks. So I said, you give me off Saturdays, because who wants to work at McDonald's on Saturday? And And I will do, I already did the trucks. I said, I'll do the overnight maintenance things as well. And so on Sunday night, I had to work overnight and then go straight to school. And I thought it was a brilliant idea until I got to that first class, trying to stay awake in class. And uh, so if I forget anything from Ephesians, that's why it was a class on Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Maybe you've had trouble staying awake, staying awake even in church, though not here, right? Uh, (laughs) 
You know, I've had, I've had trouble staying awake in prayer. Praying on your knees can help, as well as certain other things, walking during prayer or other things that you can do. What we see in this passage, which we are going to look at in a minute, is that these common, ordinary, everyday men were invited up to see Jesus in his glory. And they could not stay awake, but they would be awakened. You know what it's like? Sometimes you're having trouble staying awake and then something happens and it just jolts you awake and you are like wide awake at that point. That's what's gonna happen with the disciples. These common, ordinary, everyday men, they were common, ordinary, everyday men with Jesus. Jesus chose the common, ordinary, everyday men. I'm repeating that for a reason. And they're with Jesus and they cannot stay awake. They're up on the mountain with him and they could not stay awake, but they would be awakened. As I teach this, realize that the gospel is for everyone, amen? The gospel is for everyone. Jesus showed his glory to these common men, and he will for you as well. Realize the following. Realize the following. The commonality of the gospel. The commonality of the gospel. The gospel is for the common person. Uh, we have a Bible discussion group that meets periodically for Thursday. For, Pete meets periodically on Thursdays, which is a group of people that occasionally want to talk to me about Bible questions. And one thing they were asked last Thursday is, you know, would, would these people, would the early disciples, would people through most of church history, look at the 1500s, 1600s, very, very high illiteracy rates, would, would they have not grasped certain things, you know, certain spiritual truths, certain theological truths? And for sure that, that would happen. But one thing we have to remember in the first century, the Bible was written, it was inspired by God, but it was, it was written in Koine Greek. Koine means common language. It was common language Greek. It is written in the language of the common man at that point. The gospel is for everyone. Notice the commonality of the gospel. Notice, secondly, the power of prayer. The power of prayer. This is about to happen during a time of prayer. Notice the mighty Savior. And then listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. The commonality of the gospel, the power of prayer, the mighty Savior, listen to Jesus. Let's read the passage of Luke 9, 28 through 36. Uh, you can read it in the manuscript if you picked your, it up on your way in, or in a pew Bible, or whatever you have with you. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he, that would be Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. Peter, Peter did not realize what he was saying. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had said, what they had seen. 
So first, let's look at the commonality of the gospel. Notice that Jesus takes Peter and James and John up on this mountain with him. There are a few things that I want you to take away from this series that I'm preaching through Lent. This is a special series. We were preaching on Acts a couple weeks ago. We're going to begin back on the book of Acts after Resurrection Sunday again. But for now, this is a series that I'm giving during the season of Lent. And I want you to remember that Jesus showed the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus did not come for any group specifically. Jesus did not come for the Jews only. Jesus did not come for the Pharisees specifically. Jesus did not only come for men or only come for women. There's no, there's no prejudice or class distinctions with Jesus. There's no preferential treatment with Jesus. The gospel is for everyone. That's, that's my theme through this Lenten season. And we see that through all of church history. That the gospel is open to everyone. And anywhere the gospel goes, anywhere the gospel has gone throughout church history, throughout mission movements, anywhere the gospel has gone, it breaks down those distinctives, those distinctions. It breaks down those, those whether it's, um, I want to say racial barriers, even though I believe uh, the Bible teaches only one race, a human race, but that doesn't mean there's not class distinctions and prejudice and things like that. The gospel always breaks through those. It always breaks through those barriers. The gospel, the Christians have always had the highest literacy race, especially amongst women, because the gospel always breaks down those barriers because the gospel is for everyone. And I want to be very careful here as we look at this. I want to separate something called eisegesis from exegesis. Eisegesis. Everybody say eisegesis. I just wanted to make sure you're awake because when I start the sermon talking about falling asleep, it could have the negative ramifications. So eisegesis versus exegesis. Eisegesis is where you, you take a text, you take a passage from the Bible and make it say what you want it to say. Exegesis is where you take a text from, from the Bible and you exegete it. That means that you, you bring out of it what God wants it to say. You study that passage. You do good, good, good scriptural interpretive methods. You study that passage and see what God wants that passage to say. Exegesis, that's what we need to do. And I believe as we look at this passage, these truths that I'm preaching, that I'm teaching, are really what God wanted that passage to say. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus is our mighty savior. Notice the power of prayer and listen to Jesus. Those are the applications. So Peter, James, and John, they're common everyday men. Some say they were too common. If you look at Acts 4.13, in the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it has the people observing the confidence of Peter and John in that they were not educated. Peter and John are preaching, they're teaching, and in Acts 4.13, the people are looking at them with amazement. They were not educated. Now, some people look at that passage and think, see, there, mom, dad, I don't need to go to college, I don't need to go to high school. That's not what that's teaching. What it's teaching is that they had the best education, they spent time with Jesus as his apostles, as his disciples, and the Holy Spirit taught them. So some looked at them as thinking they were too common. They were too common. Jesus brought them up on the mountain in this passage here in Luke 9. And here they see Jesus in glory. Here they see Elijah. Here they see Moses. Think about this. The Pharisees were the religious scholars of the day. Sometimes 
The Pharisees were the scribes as well. The scribes would be the ones who wrote the law and interpreted the law. The Sadducees were other religious scholars of the day. One would think that if Jesus was going to bring some up on the mountain with him to see Moses and Elijah, it wouldn't be common people like Peter, James, and John. It would have been the Pharisees. It would have been the scribes. It would have been the Sadducees. It would have been those religious elite. But he did not. Peter, James, and John went with Jesus. In fact, most all the disciples were common men. Now, sure, Matthew was probably the most educated. As a tax collector, he had to know uh, how to interpret different languages and how to do advanced mathematics and how to, you know, do things like that. If you see the little the series of Chosen, they do a great job depicting the disciples and depicting, depicting Matthew as very, very, very analytical. But most all the disciples were common. Now, Jewish people had a higher rate of literacy because they were people of the book. So I'm not saying they couldn't read. They just were not high up in the social class. They were not the Pharisees. They were not the scribes. They were not the Sadducees. They were common people. Later, certainly, we have Paul. He was highly educated. He was a Pharisee. He was a Roman citizen. Not these guys. As they think about it, no wonder Jesus was murdered. It's a strong statement, isn't it? But humanly speaking, worldly speaking, couldn't we understand the jealousy? All these miracles are happening. All this amazing stuff is happening. He doesn't include the religious elite. He doesn't include the Pharisees. He doesn't include the Sadducees. He does, now, he does when they come to him. You have Nick at night, Nicodemus, John chapter 3. You have a few of them, but they were not his core group of people. They were not the core disciples. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they invest their life in the study and the memorizing of the Old Testament. And Jesus didn't invite them on the mountain. In my Sunday school class, we're in Matthew chapter 10. And so today I, pl- I showed a clip from the chosen. Uh, in Matthew chapter 10, that's when Jesus sends out the 12. And they do a great job. The chosen does a great job showing Jesus gather the disciples together. It's season three, episode two, if you want to look it up later. Season three, episode two. They show a great clip of Jesus gathering the disciples together. And he's saying, I'm sending you out. And as he's talking with the disciples, he actually just says to them, I didn't didn't choose the Pharisees. I didn't choose those. I chose you. He He says, I chose the common people. Jesus came for everyone. He came for the common men and women. The Pharisees weren't chosen to go up on the mountain. Peter, James, and John saw these great Old Testament heroes here. Moses. And Elijah. Now, I want to make a, a, a nerd reference, I guess. If any of you watch Star Trek, I do. Um, there's a scene in the old Star Trek movies from the original series, Star Trek Three. It's called The Searcher's Bach, where Yahura, you could look this up later on Wikipedia or watch it if you're not a geek like me in Star Trek stuff. But she's just guarding the space on, on space dock. And she just, she just, she's a communications officer. And she's with this young cadet, this young cadet. And he's just complaining. Nothing exciting happens here. Nothing exciting. We're just, we're just here in this space dock. It's just boring. And all of a sudden, Captain Kirk, who's now Admiral Kirk, walks in. And this 
young cadet gets all excited. What? There's, there's Admiral Kirk. This is amazing. Everything just got exciting as he walks in. And we, here we have the disciples. They're, they're bored to sleep. They're with Jesus, but they're bored to sleep. They're falling asleep. But now they're about to be awakened as they see Jesus communing with Moses and Elijah. Moving on here, notice the power of prayer. So notice the commonality of the gospel. Jesus came for everyone. Jesus came for everyone. And now notice the power of prayer. Jesus was praying when this happened. He was praying when this happened. You know, think about that. Verse 29 says, as he was praying, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Wow. Wow. If you've been out at night, you know, you're, we used to live in the middle of cornfields when I was in college. That's why I drove an hour each way to college. In the middle of cornfields, and it's flat. If you ever go to Western Ohio, it's flat. It's not like this area where there's rolling hills. It's flat. And we're driving home from church, and there's a storm kind of probably miles away, but you could see it. And you could see all the lightning just flashing across the fields. And it was just amazing. When I was in, um, I was going to ninth grade and we drove all the way out west from Dayton, Ohio to California, stopped at many places. And we're driving through Colorado or Kansas or somewhere. It wasn't the Rockies. It was, it was east of the Rockies. And we're just following a storm. And you can see it from miles away. But if you're driving at night or you're outside at night, you see that lightning flash. All of a sudden you can see everything. Everything brightens, everything brightens. And, and this is at night and it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, <coughs> excuse me, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Think about that. As bright as a flash of lightning. All of a sudden, the disciples were sleepy, but all of a sudden, everything brightens up and they're awakened. And in the parallel accounts, which would be like um, Matthew and Mark, it actually says that he was metamorphosized. That's the Greek word used. He was metamorphosized, you know, like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. They see his glory. They see how awesome Jesus was. He was transformed into his heavenly presence. And that's exactly what transfigured means. He is transfigured into his heavenly presence. Luke likely avoided that term, likely because his audience was more Greco-Roman. His, his audience was more Gentile. They were more Greek. They were more non-Jewish. They were more pagan. And they would think of the gods and those myths. So Luke used a different term. Jesus was not God. He was and is God. And right now, the disciples see him in his awesomeness. The way this is set up this is an answer to Jesus's prayer. While praying, this happens. In the Old Testament, revelations occur during prayer. Daniel chapter nine is an example of that. Revelations occur during prayer. And I'm just thinking as I go through this, some of us may need to be reminded that we serve a mighty savior, which is the next part. Jesus is transfigured. He is metamorphosized. There's a race car movie that comes to mind right now. It's got Will Ferrell in it. I never watched it. I've only seen one little clip where he's playing this race car guy and he's doing this prayer and he prays to Jesus and he prays little baby Jesus, eight pounds, six ounces or something like that. That's the only scene I've seen of the movie. And it 
the only reason I saw that was in a church growth class in seminary to show how people view Jesus. Do we view Jesus as the baby in the manger? Do we view Jesus as the one on the cross? Or do we view Jesus as the one reigning in heaven right now? Jesus is our mighty savior. He's our mighty savior. He is so dazzling and amazing, we really couldn't behold him if we saw him in that way. And so he's transfigured, he's metamorphosized. Verse 32, Peter and the companions were sleepy, but then they woke up. You know, for me, sometimes when I'm tired, whether driving or reading or working, there's something that shocks me to being awake. Have you ever been in a car accident because you were sleepy? It was spring of 2005, May 2005. Right after the college semester had ended, it was four o'clock in the morning, 4 a.m. As I already stated, I had about a 30-minute drive to work. I drove 30 minutes to work, an hour to college. I was on a dark state route, and I was sleepy. I remember really struggling to stay awake, but I managed for a while... Then I entered the suburb of Inglewood, Ohio. Inglewood, just north and a little bit west of Dayton. Inglewood, Ohio. And this is where I actually worked. I'm driving to work. I was the opening shift manager at McDonald's. If I didn't get there, nobody could even get into the, get into the restaurant. That's why I had like three alarm clocks. Uh, the state route I was driving on was now four lanes with a turn line, much like Route 224 around here. I was now passing businesses and restaurants. I now drove past uh, Jack's Aquarium and Pets, where I used to work. I now drove past National Road. You might know of U.S. Route 40, which if I turned right, I could have headed up to my junior high and high school, and you could go all the way out west on U.S. Route 40. Uh, I now drove past a location I would get a speeding ticket in a few weeks. I was... <laughs> Only a couple miles from work, and yet I was still sleepy, and I heard a major thud. There was a car accident. I ran into the passenger side curb, ran into the passenger side curb, and so at first I thought, oh, just a flat tire. It was actually much worse than that. There was axle damage and wheel damage because I was going like 30 miles per hour. But in God's providence, it could have been much, much, much worse. That car accident did not happen 10 miles earlier when I was driving 55 miles per hour on a country road. I did not cross left of center and hit another car. I did not hit a telephone pole. But still, I had two flat tires. At least that's what I initially thought. And I thought, I got one spare. What am I going to do? So there happened to be a Midas store right there. So I pull into the Midas store. And and actually, I drove a, a block to Grismer. And then called Megan and asked her to call them and see if they could look at it. And they did later and found a whole bunch of damage. And I walked it to work from there. The point is, that woke me up. It woke me up. The scare woke me up. And you know what? The disciples also were awakened. And they were awakened to a type of fear. There was a reverent fear as they saw the man Jesus transformed in glory. There was a reverent fear in verse 34 as God spoke. As we notice the majesty and the awesomeness of God, we also need a reverent fear of God. I was talking to somebody way back in 2017 when I first came to Bethel Friends. We were talking about a different church group. And he said when he grew up in that different church group, they, they gave him a healthy fear of God. And that's a good thing. 
1 John 1, 9, you know, when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But sometimes we get too, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing, interesting thing to think about how awesome it is that we can be a friend of God. But some, because Jesus has restored our relationship with God, he died in our sins. He didn't, Jesus didn't only forgive us our sins. He gave us his righteousness. I mean, it's powerful. It's amazing. But sometimes as we get into that side of the truth, we forget who God is and who we are. There's a reverent fear of God that's healthy. Our great and mighty Savior revealed his awesome glory to common, everyday, normal people as Peter, James, and John. Our great and mighty Savior reveals himself to you and me. And I hope that awakens us. It woke them up. I hope this excitement awakens you as a fearful experience would awaken you, as a car accident awakened me. Our God is amazing. He rules, he reigns. He's, he, he, Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says, Jesus holds all of the cosmos together by the word of his power. You look at Hebrews chapter one, it talks about the majesty, the radius of, of Jesus's glory. He's amazing. And Elijah and Moses, they're not equal with him. They're not equal. We see in verse 33, Peter wanted to make tents for Elijah and Moses and Jesus. And, and th- these were for worship like the Feast of Booths in the Old Testament. And there's a parenthetical statement that Peter did not know what he was saying. The problem was that Peter wanted to make tents for all of them. Like Peter, like uh, Moses and Elijah were equal with Jesus. Peter did not understand that Jesus was and is the one God. Peter equated, equated them the same. They're not the same. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This isn't the best example because this here, transfiguration, is something of God. But when Mercedes was a toddler, I want to see if she looked up real quick. Uh, when Mercedes was a toddler, we were driving and I took a turn and I heard a noise in the back seat and Mercedes said, no, daddy, or something similar to that. And I looked back and her car seat was tipping over. <laughs> She's still okay and she gets good grades, so everything was okay. <laughs> Somehow, the seat belt buckling her car seat in had come undone. I pulled over and buckled her seat belt back in, buckled the car seat back in and fixed things. As I started to drive, Mercedes says, I don't want to fall again. And... Uh, Well, neither did I want her to fall again. It was scary for us as well. There is a great fear of the unknown. There's a great fear of the unknown. In this passage, a cloud enveloped Elijah, Moses, and Jesus, and a voice spoke. This made Peter, this made fear in Peter, James, and John. This was a reverent fear, a woe. I am put in my place I am in the unknown. Another passage that comes to mind, you could look up later is, later is Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah is in the temple. He's already a prophet of the Lord. He's in the temple and, and he sees this majestic experience. He, he sees the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted, like it really happens. The train of his robe fills the temple with glory. The doorposts of the temple are shaking. This really happened. And how did Isaiah respond? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And we encounter the amazing Lord of Lords, King of Kings. We are amazed in holy, righteous fear.
Last application, listen to Jesus. Here God speaks. God says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. God is authenticating Jesus once again. This was said at Jesus' baptism in Luke 3, 21 and following. Jesus is to be listened to more than Moses and Elijah. Jesus fulfilled the law. So are we listening to him? You don't have to be a pastor, an elder, or a church leader. You don't have to be educated. Jesus came for all. Jesus came for the common man. The gospel is for everyone. Listen to him. Most of the time, we take the parts of the Bible that we like and we don't look at the things we don't like. I'll listen to him with this and this and this and this. But that part about cohabitating with a man or woman before we are married, that's, that's, that's for a different day. In fact, I was, you know, I've heard people tell me that was for a different day and age. No, listen to Jesus. Listen to his word from Genesis to Revelation. Everything he says. Our God is no one to be trifled with. Now, praise God. Listen to him about forgiveness too. But remember, Jesus did go to everyone. He went to the person in sin. He accepted them, but he said, go and sin no more. He pronounced forgiveness, but he loves us too much to condone what we're doing that leads us to a life of destruction for us and others. We think our sin is individualistic. It just affects us. It doesn't. Talk to family members where someone's had numerous affairs and they think their family can still be a whole family. No, it can't. Sin is contagious. It's deadly. It's destructive. It's more deadly and dangerous than COVID-19. Do you pray at night? I encourage you to pray at night. Lord, keep me from sin tomorrow. We need to pray about that twice as much as we pray for safety from sickness or illness or car accident. Pray for all of it, but sin is more deadly and dangerous than anything else. And everything pray Lord, may I respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction that when I fail, when I do sin, I repent. Because 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and he's just. He'll forgive us our sins. He'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He will forgive us. Praise God for that. Listen to him. Listen to his word. But ultimately, pray that we desire God so much that we don't want to sin against him. Oftentimes, we go to the world, we go to the non-believers, and we beat them up about sin. But their first need is to know Jesus. I expect non-believers to live in sin. And when I say live in sin, I mean an unrepentant attitude. I don't care. I'm going to thumb my nose at God. I don't care about it. Non-believers are going to be that way because they don't know Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, they live in darkness. They're, they are in darkness. They don't need beat up about sin. They need to be told about Jesus. There's forgiveness for that sin. Jesus wants to wash you, make you clean, white as snow. Sometimes we're giving the message to unbelievers that needs to go to the church. When we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, when we know Jesus, we don't live in sin. I didn't say we don't sin. We still mess up, but we repent. 
were convicted by the Holy Spirit that that was not right and we repent. We have that conversation with that loved one, with that family, with that church member, with that person at the store. And we realize as soon as we walk out the door, oh my gosh, I was so mean to them. And we turn right around and we go back and we say, I'm sorry, I should not have talked to you that way. Please forgive me. We confess to God, we confess to the person we sinned against and we're forgiven. Our God is holy, he is amazing, and yet he stooped to our level. He became a man, Jesus. He lived amongst us for 33 years. He went to the cross in our place. He died on the cross for us. He became what's called our sin offering, and he rose again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the powerful manifestation of your presence that we see right here made to the disciples and to us through this account in Luke. Lord God, you are so amazing. But mostly we thank you. We thank you that you did not just end it at the transfiguration. Lord Jesus, I'm sure that you could have thought, I like having my awesome presence right here, my glory but you still came down from that mountain and you can finish your ministry with the disciples and you went to the cross for our sins and you rose again. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone present right now who are convicted by the Holy Spirit of sin, we thank you for 1 John 1, 9. You are faithful, you are just, or some translations say righteous, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We thank you for forgiveness. But we have to respond to your grace. We have to respond and confess we are a sinner in need of a savior. Believe in you as the one and only savior, trust in you and commit to you. We have to commit our life to you. May today be the day of salvation for some, repentance for others, renewal for all of us, that all of us walk out of here encouraged by your grace and your mercy. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, we're gonna start the... uh, contemplative song, Oceans, and we're gonna play it for a couple minutes and then the praise team's gonna come up. During this time, I'm gonna invite the altar prayer workers to come up right now. During this time, if God has laid anything in your heart and you would like us to pray with you, come forward, we'd love to pray with you. It could be a sickness or illness that you're going through or someone else nearby you is going through, or it could be a sin that you need to confess. James 5 says to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's power in confession. And they'll keep it confidential. And there's also power in hearing from someone else, you are forgiven. But anything that we can pray for, it's a blessing. Sometimes people think, I don't wanna be a burden. I don't wanna be a burden. You know that when we say that, we're robbing other people of their blessing. It's a blessing to serve. It's a blessing to pray for one another. Let us pray for you. So I'm gonna invite uh, Billy, go and start this song. And it's a time of prayer.